Mm-hmm. Yep. We're talking about that song today. <laughs> this is Charlie Tate. And I am diverting from my Queen Deep Dives. I actually, wow. <laughs> I can't talk. But I'm going to keep this intro because this is hilarious. Seriously, this is a Friday. This is Freaky Friday. I don't want to get into too much detail about what's going on, but my head is in a fog because my allergies are crazy. And when that happens, my eustachian tubes go haywire and I get a little bit dizzy and a little bit nauseous. And so it makes for a very interesting process within my brain. Everything kind of feels like, I'm going to use an analogy that Bjork once said about her creative processes and her songs, which was that it's like a tube of toothpaste. So that's that's just what I'm going to say about me right now is everything's like this big gooey tube of toothpaste and I'm trying to squeeze stuff out and stuff's coming out that's not supposed... Sorry. (laughs) That is a really bad analogy. I'm not going to use that ever again. But today, what I was trying to say is, yes, I'm, I'm doing a random deep dive today because it's time to divert away from Queen. I usually do two, three deep dives of Queen, and then I do something else. And I was kind of on a roll because honestly, I'm really close to the end of Queen's album, Queen 2. And I think I was just super motivated to get through those tracks because I love them so much and I was I was on a roll. But here I am today, I want to talk about something different. And this song was out side of my head for a long time. It's well known by many, but I hadn't thought about it in forever. And then I think it came into my life again, totally randomly. I was on YouTube looking for something and I was scrolling through my feed and this song came up, but it wasn't the version we all know so well. It was the original acapella version that, that she sang. And I'm, I'm going to get to the details here. But I'd never heard that version, surprisingly. I'd never heard it. So I watched it and listened to her acapella performance of it. And I was really captivated by the story that she told about writing the song and then her performance of it. It was very well done, especially considering this woman whose voice is, it's very haunting. It's a great, she's got such a wonderful tone, but she's not you know, this over-the-top, bombastic singer like, you know, Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston's voice. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's much more subdued, but it's almost, in a way, more relatable, especially here, given the context of the song. And the song I'm talking about is called Tom's Diner, and it was written and originally performed by Suzanne Vega. And she wrote this song in 1981 when she worked as a receptionist, apparently. And she used to frequent this restaurant called Tom's Restaurant, which is in New York City. And I believe certain scenes of Seinfeld and perhaps other shows have been, have been filmed at this restaurant. Um, so, so it has some, some historical significance. I'm so sorry, my brain is, is tripping over itself again. But Tom's Diner, obviously it's, it's, a very special song because of what it came to be almost a decade after it was written. So Suzanne wrote this song and it was literally this little account of some of the experiences she had at Tom's restaurant. But when she wrote it, 
and put together these different happenings and these these different observational things, what she was thinking was alienation and isolation and being completely outside of society and sort of just watching things happen to everyone else. And you're completely alone and outside of all of it. You're just observing. You're just people watching. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling. And a lot of people think this song is about nothing. But the whole point of it was to identify this kind of isolation, especially lately. This, this last year, I've felt this a lot, this alienation, feeling outside everything, this disconnection from everything else, right? People watching. I people watch a lot. I've done it for a long time and I don't do it consciously. You know, I, I don't like stare at people, but I do watch people. And I'm especially fascinated when you're watching someone and, and you catch them in this moment of complete, genuine openness. You know, you watch them doing something where clearly they're in their element, they're loving it. They're maybe they're still alone, but there's something about their sentiment, their attitude, their dis, their demeanor that just speaks volumes about who they are. There's a great quote from Greg Kinnear's character, Simon, in As Good As It Gets, when he, he talks about people watching and he says, you know, you, you watch people long enough you discover their humanity. And I, I think that's an entirely true statement. I, I love that sentiment. I think, again, there's so much you can find out about a person when you just watch them and they're alone and there's something about their attitude and their actions and their body language. There's something about them that's beautiful and honest and real. So in, in doing those kinds of things and watching people and, and seeing a little bit about who they are and these facets of their personality, there's this kind of connection we get through that. And so this feeling of isolation and being alienated from society, which I have felt extensively this, this last few months, I, between everything we've all been through the last year, and I'm not just talking about the pandemic, I'm, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about the world at large. I'm talking about, uh, you know, social issues. I'm talking about po politics. I'm talking about all of it. it, it it's, it's hard enough for me to trust, but I think I've reached a new level of skepticism, which is very unfortunate. I've, I've found myself extremely, I'm just losing grip with the rest of the world. It, it, it's brought me to the point where and I don't like that this is happening. I feel a little bit like it's not worth doing anything sometimes because I get so disenchanted about things and I feel so far away from everything. It's weird. So I'm trying to work on that. And hopefully as we move forward here, I'll feel more back in touch with things. But getting back to Tom's Diner and Suzanne's wonderful song, I wanted to talk about both the original version, and then the amazing club remix, which took, honestly, a lot of the world by storm, again, nearly a decade after it was written. And that club remix would ultimately inspire, encourage artists to remix their own songs into these danceable arrangements, which would become things like the Saturday Night Hot Mix. Does anybody else remember those? Like maybe the mid-90s, Mid to late 90s, there were radio stations that would do 
And they weren't even dance stations. They were, these were top 40 stations. They would do Saturday night hot mixes where they would just play remixes of songs, club mixes of songs for hours. And they would do, they would do it without a break. So it was this constant pounding dance awesomeness. I loved it. It was, it was great. It, it opened my ears to this new sonic experiment and, and experience, right? So this song was pretty groundbreaking. And Suzanne obviously played a massive role in that because she was the original writer of the song. And she wrote this song again in 81 or perhaps throughout 81. And there's a reference in the song to an actor who died. And she actually acknowledged that this was Oscar winner William Holden who died in November of 81 from falling after he had drank excessively. I think he fell in his own home and this happened. So she did actually acknowledge that 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 was the person, that was the time. So there you go, 81, maybe 82, this was written. It wasn't actually released as a track at all until January of 84 by Fast Folk Musical Magazine. This was both a publication and like a playlist. So this song was included in that edition, and then it was featured on Suzanne's own studio album called Solitude Standing from 1987. Then, drum roll please, this song, her original acapella mix of this song, which she originally thought might have a little tinkling piano alongside it, right? That was kind of her original thought, but she didn't know anybody who could could play. So she literally just sang this acapella. Interesting little fact about the song. A British group called DNA took her vocals and remixed it to become the fabulous dance deep house, very groundbreaking track at the time song that was number one in Austria. Germany and Greece and Switzerland, and it peaked at number two in the UK and number five on the US Billboard Hot 100. If you haven't heard this song, seriously, where (laughs) were you? I think even people who are a lot younger than me have heard this song. They know it. It's been used. It's been sampled quite a bit. And here's the funny thing. When the group DNA used Suzanne's vocals for this and made this song. They did it without permission from Suzanne or the record label, and they released it for club distribution. Initially, AM Records was like, whoa, 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 we this is not cool. And Suzanne was sent the remix, you know, and, and the record label was thinking they might sue because DNA did this without permission. But Suzanne got a really big kick out of it. And she, I I think her, one of her comments was she kind of thought it was funny. And then she thought it was really cool. And she thought, well, this might actually kick off some interest in the club arena, but she wasn't expecting anything else to happen. It ended up selling several million, million copies at the end of the day. And obviously that version with that super catchy riff that it it went on it went crazy it went crazy everybody knows that little ditty everybody's heard that little riff everybody thinks about it it it, it's just this subconscious thing that's always in the back of our musical brains i think 
And there you go. Interesting journey of this song. Also, fun fact, Suzanne is considered, quote unquote, the mother of the MP3. This is a very cool thing. So, so get this. Her original recording, the acapella, the warm and rich acapella performance, she did, was sampled by Carl Heinz Brandenburg to develop the audio compression scheme known as MP3. Are you with me here? So he took this recording, which he actually heard down the hall in a, in a studio. He thought, wow, that is the perfect voice to fine tune my algorithm because he was trying to compress sound electronically so it would work as an mp3 guys this was before mp3s existed this guy was trying to figure out how to do that how to convert sound and everything was perfect except suzanne's voice he couldn't get the voice to compute in a way where it came out on the mp3 side sounding like it should but he was able to refine it using her voice and once he got it dialed in enough, probably literally dialed in enough, we got the, we got the MP3. And we have this algorithm that changes the sound. I'm so fascinated by this. I want to go read about it. It changes the sound into an electronic sound into an MP3. It's just super fascinating. I, I love that, that her voice was... If not the first thing, if not the first voice in this respect, one of the first that was used to create what we all know and use on our devices all the time as the MP3. It just, it kind of blows my mind. I'm like, wow, what an honor <laughs> to be the mother of the MP3. You know, it's very cool. As far as the song goes, the original acapella version is so cool. It's literally acapella and she snaps her fingers in a lot of live performances of it. And honestly, this, this recording I saw on YouTube, I'll try to link to it in the description of this episode, but there's something about her. She's so relaxed. She's so natural. The little looks she gives the camera, the way the camera slowly pans around her, her actions, the pauses, it's such a good performance. I mean, it's not like she's out there, you know, wailing up and down scales or doing a lot of melisma like, you know, Christina Aguilera would do. There's nothing here that makes you go, oh my gosh, this is, but there's so much subtle nuance in her performance that just screams artist and expression. I, I love it. I, I love stuff like that. This is another example in a very different way from someone like Bjork, who's so expressive. This is another example of someone who as a performer, and Suzanne performed live a lot, and I think she still does. There's, there's something about her energy that's just, it's, it's warm and it's, you kind of want to just keep watching and listening. She has an it factor and it's, it's very obvious in this video. And that's what hooked me. I was like, wow, I didn't realize this song had such interesting history and development. I didn't realize that what came out in 1990, which by the way, sounds like it's from the late nineties. This song was so ahead of its time. It's that bass. So let's talk about the 1990 club mix, which is so well known. Obviously, it starts out with Suzanne's fantastic little riff. 
and then the beat comes in, which is very house. It's very, it's very catchy. It's undeniably recognizable. As, as soon as it starts, even without her vocals, I, I think you would know what this is. This is like the song that everybody knows, but nobody knows the name of, and nobody remembers the lyrics to, which is interesting because the lyrics are so seemingly just, they don't mean anything. Again, right? People think this song is about nothing. But the bass comes in. The, the bass in the song is what makes it. Everybody talks about the bass. It's this persisting, rolling, super deep octave thing that just, it doesn't stop through the whole thing. It doesn't variate. There's, there's nothing about it that, that is outside of this typical riff that we hear over and over and over again. But it's incredibly satisfying to hear it. And then we have this interesting juxtaposition of this consistent beach beat that just goes on and on with this bass and Suzanne's very detached vocals, detached performance. And then that catchy, the catchy little jazz, you know, the catchy little brass comes in every once in a while. It's, it's the perfect balance of sound. And then there's a little bit of piano that comes in with just a slight delay on it. And, and that's it. There's really not a whole lot else going on in here except some synthesizer strings and the bass and that beat. The bass and the beat is really what makes the song amazing. And I mean, honestly, I, I guess every piece of it does. That little bit of piano, the strings in the back that feel kind of distant and again, detached. Uh, there is something about the way DNA took her, the sentiment of her vocals and I mean, maybe it was just this innate thing. Well, let's put this this just droning but extremely catchy drum loop behind everything and let's put this bass in here. I mean, what, what you end up with is a song that honestly, you can listen to it over and over and over again and somehow it doesn't ever feel old, first of all. I've listened to it countless times since I rediscovered it a couple of weeks ago. I, I downloaded it. I've listened to the longer extended version of the DNA remix, which is like seven minutes long. And it just, it, it, I could listen to it forever. Honestly, it's one of those things that just, it's great background music, but at the same time, you can really jam to it. And it, again, that alienation, that feeling of being separated from the entire world and just watching everything happen around you, not having any significance on anything, including yourself. I, I guess that feeling is what gets me the most is knowing that I'm feeling that right now at least at some point every single day, I have those moments where I feel completely insignificant. And I know there's a lot of us that are dealing with that and perhaps have been for a very long time. And so for, for this song to have that kind of atmosphere is just, I don't know, it's very fitting right now. So I wanted to talk about this song, but I, I thought it was fascinating. I thought the, the, the journey of the song was fascinating and I wanted to talk about it. So there it is. That's Tom's Diner. and. The version that is so popular, I'm trying to find out here if it's actually under Suzanne Vega or if it's under, I think it might be under DNA featuring Suzanne Vega. But if you look her up like on iTunes, then you'll find this song and it's, it's not difficult to find it. Just look up Tom's Diner, Suzanne Vega, and you will absolutely find this song. And I think you should give it a spin or two. And I guarantee you, something about it will have you sort of bop in your head or tap in your foot. But I am going to go and try to clear my head and 
reattach it to the rest of my body because right now I'm having that floating feeling where everything's sort of spinning a little bit. But have a great rest of the day. Keep yourselves alive. And I'll be back next time, likely to wrap up the album Queen 2. I'll talk to you guys soon.